This is the Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. We're here Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays with you to explore the big money issues in the world of sports, talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. The USTA announcing earlier this week that the 2020 U.S. Open will indeed be played in Flushing Meadows. The plan has been put forward and approved by New York Governor Andrew Cuomo to hold this year's competition without fans. Joining us to discuss this and so much more, tell us all how it all came together, is our friend USTA Billie Jean King National Tennis Center Chief Operating Officer Danny Zausner. Danny, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. So what a week. Tell us about sort of the moment where you guys decided, and there was, there was a lot leading up to it, but where you said, all right, this is going to be a go. Frankly, over the past three and a half months, we've been looking at about 12 different options. And in the beginning of May, we started talking to the folks in the governor's office because it was made clear to us that the governor's office would be controlling all decisions about sporting events, not at the city level, but at the state level. And we knew that we had to submit to them a medical and operations plan, and we had been putting that together with our medical advisory group. And we were able to get that plan submitted to them by June 1st, which is what we had promised speaking to them in May. And frankly, being in phase one in New York City, uh, we knew that we really couldn't submit a plan that talked about uh, full attendance from fans because that wouldn't be till phase four. And I think we're all pretty confident right now that that probably won't happen until we have a vaccine. So we had to submit a plan that was going to be just no fans and it'd be an international broadcast. And thankfully, I got a phone call from the governor's office on my drive to work Tuesday morning saying uh, the governor's ready to approve the plan as is. Uh, so we were thrilled, and now we're off to the races. So, Danny, I'm going to be the logistics guy here on uh, what uh, fans can expect to see. You're going to see two competitors out there, obviously, in the singles matches. Will there be an umpire in the chair, or what about line judges and ball boys and ball girls? Uh, Mike, so the way it's going to work is on our two main show courts, Arthur Ashe Stadium and Lewis Armstrong Stadium, you'll see, for the most part, a full uh, contingent of, of what you would see during the U.S. Open. You'll see ball persons out there. Uh, this year, because of COVID, what we're going to do is the ball persons will only be 18 and over. Uh, they'll be wearing gloves. They'll have face masks on. Uh, their interaction with the players will be extremely limited. Uh, we will have a line judge on every single court. And as I mentioned, on Ash and Armstrong, there will be some line judges. We're going to use electronic line calling on all of our field courts. So you'll see a lot of what you would anticipate seeing at a traditional U.S. Open, and you'll see some kind of new electronic gadgetry on some of the field courts as well, stuff that we'll be testing out potentially for the future. And obviously you're going to get, it, it feels like a little bit of a, a trial run or a, a preview of some sort because you've essentially created a, a double header with the Western and Southern Open, uh, moving it from Ohio to New York that you know preceding couple of weeks. Tell us about what that decision and sort of what you expect to see from that. So the Cincinnati event, uh, the Western Southern Open, is part of the U.S. Open Series, something that we're a part of every year. Uh, unfortunately, this year there was really no logistical way to make that happen in Cincinnati. And to try to really make it so that the players were able to play competitive matches before the U.S. Open and not just come, have them come out here for practice, uh, we came up with the idea of moving the event to New York and hosting that event here. It won't be a trial run for us, Jason. The big thing for us is we want to make the players, when they're playing in, in the Cincinnati event, the Western Southern Open, feel like they're at their traditional Western Southern Open. Mm. So we won't be experimenting while they're out here. It'll be good to go for that moment. And obviously it's great for the players that they'll be practicing and playing competitive matches and getting paid for it uh, yeah. before August 31st comes for the main draw. Another logistical question, Danny, at all the local clubs around here where, where they play tennis, I get all these memos and emails and 
and I'm a sportscaster in Boston. We've done a couple of these stories. Players have to use different tennis balls. If I'm playing a pen one, well, my opponent's got to play like a Wilson two or something like that. Will the players, will each player be playing their own separate tennis balls or brand of balls, or will, will, all, will all balls be in play like they are in normal matches? So it's a great question. Two parts to that. Uh, our court surface that we use at the U.S. Open is a lake cold surface, and it's a, is a specific speed of play that we use. It's a, traditionally, it's a pretty much a fast speed. And the Cincinnati event, the U.S. Open Series events, also use the Lakehold product for the court itself. Uh, the U.S. Open uh, is a partner with Wilson. Wilson provides all the balls for the U.S. Open. And thankfully, Wilson provides all the balls for the uh, Western and Southern Open as well. So the players will be playing with the same balls at the Cincinnati event as they will with the U.S. Open. And obviously, they'll be playing the same court speed since uh, both of those tournaments will be hosted here in Flushing Meadows. But in a particular match, are, are you going to delineate sort of between who's serving and who's receiving in terms of what balls are being used? Or are the same balls going to be used? Yes. As, as the governing body for the country, we've kind of instituted this whole idea for you know, that tennis is such a safe sport to play because of the great distance between the players. And the same thing with the balls. We're telling people when you go to play tennis recreationally outdoors right now, you bring two cans of balls, one for each side. And when the player on one side, if he happens to end up with the ball that the other player is serving with, just kick it back to the other side. In our case, we have ball persons that will be out there, and they'll actually be the ones picking up the balls with their gloves and giving it back to the players. So both sets of players will have their own balls when they're serving. Can I ask a dumb follow-up question? How do you tell? <laughs> They'll be labeled. Interesting. Not the, a dumb question yeah. at all. No. <laughs> I mean, and, and it's in part, and just as Mike was saying, you know, I'm a tennis player. My my wife and uh, one of my sons are very serious tennis players, and, you know, they've been going through all of these exact same uh, imaginations. I mean, they're thrilled because, as you've sort of alluded to, this is a good sport for social distancing in some ways. Absolutely. And you know, singles and doubles, you know, the tennis court's 120 feet long, so talk about your social distancing. It's, uh, it's perfect for that. And I, I will tell you, listen, I, I mentioned that we have this medical and operations plan, and we, we, we feel very strongly about it. But, you know, as they say, during this whole pandemic, everything is very fluid, and I'm sure we'll have to continue to make changes. Hopefully, we've thought about virtually everything, but I'm sure we've missed some things, and we'll have to uh, play catch-up as we go. So, Danny, you know, we talked a lot about sort of how this is going to work for the players, how you're going to pull this off. I do want to ask you, though... It is one of my favorite things to do every year to come and to broadcast from there and then also to go at different times as a fan. I mean, how do you, as someone who runs this thing, get your head around a spectatorless U.S. Open? I tell you, I walk the site every single day, and, and you're spot on, Jason. It's, it's very emotional for us that are dealing with this event to think about the fact that while we'll have the players here and that camaraderie for the players, that we won't have those 800,000-plus fans out here over the course of you know, what is traditionally our three-week event. Uh, what we have to do is work with our broadcast partners all over the world to ensure that what they're delivering on TV, and I know they're going to do it, is going to be something special. It'll be unique and to make the fans feel like they're actually in the stadium for those who come out during the event. But on site, it, it's going to feel eerie every day of the tournament while we're walking around out here and we're hearing the tennis ball and the smack of the tennis ball but not hearing the roar of the crowd after every incredible shot. A lot of the players travel with an entourage. They travel with their coaches, they travel with their therapists, their trainers, their family, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What kind of limitations uh, do you have to impose on the players? So what we're trying to do, Mike, is... is 
make sure that all the players are staying in one or potentially no more than two hotels so that way we can manage their travel from their hotels to the stadium. Uh, we can kind of keep them, I don't want to say sequestered there, but create an environment for them in the hotel. It feels a little bit like an Olympic village, uh, but also at the same time ensure that when they're here that they're not going out in New York City every night. We know they have to get tested before they come. They'll be getting tested on a weekly basis. And we just have to make sure that it's the right environment for them. As far as the entourage is concerned, uh, we've told the players that they're all entitled to plus one, that we can offer them two rooms for every single player. There's 256 players just in the singles alone. Uh, there are some players who probably will have larger entourages. There may be some players that don't have an entourage at all. Uh, so if they have two rooms and, and they want to double up in one of the rooms, then some players might have you know, player plus two or possibly even player plus three. So, Danny, I have to ask you, this is the business of sports uh, after all. In addition to the cheering and the roar of the crowd and, uh, and all of that, empty suites, nobody, you know, buying their Grey Goose cocktails, nobody picking up merch, at least on site. What are the economic implications of this, if you can share that with us? It's not pretty. Uh, but it still makes sense to host the event for us. Uh, you know, we have three main sources of revenues from the U.S. Open broadcast, sponsorship, and ticket sales. Uh, needless to say, the potential for $140 million in ticket sales will not be happening at all this year. Uh, we will rely exclusively on the broadcast revenues and some percentage of the sponsorship revenues. Obviously, our sponsors are as excited about the activation on site with those 800,000 fans as they are uh, from the broadcast. Um, so what's going to happen this year is we are probably looking at seeing uh, about 20 to 30% of our overall revenues that we would have budgeted for this year. Uh, we just finished a $650 million renovation of the site. We have a debt service of about $45 million this year in, in, in perpetuity. Uh, we know that we'll be able to cover the debt service. And frankly, we have a rainy day fund. Uh, we didn't want to use it. We like to keep it invested in the market. Uh, so we'll tip into that rainy day fund to help us get through this year and hope that we come back really strong in 2021 with, uh, you know, with a fan-filled U.S. Open. Danny, other than the, the Olympics, nothing compares to the open and closing ceremonies of the, of the U.S. Open. And obviously there's a lot of people on the court that are standing very close to each other. Will you modify that or will you just scrap it? I, I wouldn't say right now we'll scrap it. We, we know that much like the broadcast, things will have to be different, and we've we got to figure that stuff out. Uh, you know, it was only about four weeks ago where we decided pencils down on, on 11 scenarios and focus exclusively on the no-fan scenario. And during the last four weeks, it's all about uh, people within our tournament operations group on the phone every day with the ATP and the WTA, the men's and women's tours, to find out how we can make this uh, conducive for the players to want to be here. And then at the same time, that state approval. And now we've got about six weeks uh, to figure it all out, including the stuff that you're asking us. Danny, tell us about those chats with the tours and, and the players. And obviously, you know, huge news this week that Serena Williams is going to play. You know, Roger Federer had already said that, you know, he was out for the season owing to an injury. But help us understand what their big concerns were, obviously health and safety. But take us inside that if you can a little bit. So, you know, the unique thing about tennis and the Grand Slams, as opposed to the traditional American sports that you're hearing a lot about those negotiations right now with MLB and the NBA and NHL, is within our game, we're talking about more than 70% of the players are coming from outside the United States. So when they hear about quarantine and when they've been reading for the last three months about the devastation of what's going on in the United States, they're, they, they're concerned, and it's understandable. 
Uh, the great news for us is when we look at the data right now, New York is it was number one last week in terms of the number of cases, and it's uh, kind of about number four this week. But, you know, New York City right now is in a really good place, and hopefully it continues to get better. But the players have been asking, you know, Mike had already asked us about the entourages, so that's a concern for them. Some players come with an entourage seven to ten people, and we need to be able to control the environment as much as we can based on what we know today. If it gets a lot better in August, we might be able to loosen the strings a little bit. Uh, but that was a big thing for them. How are they getting into the country? The players usually have a visa issue that they deal with all the time. We've been working with the federal government. Andrew Giuliani is heading that task force up for the president in terms of visa ability for, with Homeland Security. Uh, so as I mentioned, with the 700 70%, we've got about 500 players and an entourage that we need to get into the country. Uh, so those are big concerns for the players. Underneath the stands and, and your, your great stadiums down there, it's almost uh, the, the tunnels are almost like those in a submarine when you see the TV cameras going through, and, and people are often shoulder to shoulder when they walk by. Are you going to have to have like, traffic cops down there? Are going to have to modify no entry here where you're allowed to go one way, is, uh, you know, put arrows on the floor like they do in, in grocery stores? A hundred percent. Matter of fact, the, you know, you're seeing what you see on TV, but that's the same issue for us in locker rooms and many of the training facilities on the grounds. Uh, one of the sad realities for us with not having fans here is it opens up a lot of new opportunities for us in terms of creating extra spaces for the players. So places that may have been restaurants in previous years will all be cleared out and become new stretching areas for the players. We're taking our suites in Arthur Ashe Stadium and turning those into private lounges for each of the players. Uh, so we have 32 seated players and we're going to take 64 suites so that you know the top 64 players between men's and women's tours will have their own individual suites when they don't want to be in a locker room or out on a tennis court. So those are all the types of changes we need to make, Mike, to make sure that we can meet the guidelines we have established with the state and make the players and those who are working here uh, feel very secure. Danny, just one more question before we let you go, and, and it's an almost philosophical one. I mean, What's this been like for you? I mean, I have to imagine it's been a lot of ups and downs, a lot of determination, you know, dealing with your team and, and dealing with your team, I would imagine, you know, more or less remotely in, in, in many cases. As you look back on the, on the past, you know, 10, 12 weeks, how does it feel? Well, you know, we feel like we were able to take a deep breath for about five minutes yesterday after the announcement, and now we got to get right back into it. It's ironic because we were on the phone with you back in March talking about uh, turning the tennis center into a COVID hospital to help support the local community. And at that time, we had five months to go for the Open. And thankfully, the, the hospital gave us back the keys last Friday. Uh, after they cleared out of there. And so now we could be solely back in the tennis business. New York City goes into phase two on Monday. So we're going to be able to start recreational tennis programs outdoors here on Monday. And that's going to feel incredible to see people out on the courts. And we're going to be so buried in the, putting the plans together over the next six plus weeks uh, that we won't really get enough chance to take a deep breath again until September 14th. Well, best wow. of luck to you. It is really something to behold, and I think very exciting for a lot of us who are so such big fans. Candidly, the U.S. Open. I mean, you know, I moved here uh, almost uh, 15 years ago, and I have to say, and I've said it on air, I've said it on site there, it is the quintessential New York event in, in many ways. So uh, best of luck to you in pulling it off. That is Danny Zausner. He is the Chief Operating Officer of the USDA Billie Jean King National Tennis Center. I'm Jason Kelly. Follow me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. And you can follow me on Twitter at LynchyWCVB. We're here every week at this time. Catch our Apple Podcasts. That includes extended versions of this and all of our interviews. That drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.